Hi there. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Life Society podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hennessy. I'm honored that you've decided to join me by listening to this first VLS podcast episode entitled That Old Feeling. In this episode, I'm going to share with you the deeply personal reason why I started Deja Vu Industries and why I started the Vintage Life Society. But first, I'm going to make an assumption about us. I'm going to assume that you and I share something in common, and that is our deep overriding desire to experience firsthand what real life was like in another era. Now, I've spent many years chasing down this old feeling and looking for ways to experience it, and I found a way to make it happen for real, a fully immersive and historically authentic experience of real life as it was lived in whatever year you like. Stay tuned, and I'll tell you about it. I saw you last night and got that old feeling When you came in sight, I got that old feeling The moment that you danced by, I felt a thrill And then when you caught my eye, my heart stood still once again I seem to get that old yearning And I knew the spark of love was still burning There'll be no new romance for me It's foolish to start for that old feeling Is still in my heart Let me start by telling you a little bit about myself. I've had a passion for vintage style as far back as I can remember. As a 10-year-old, I, I wanted a, a pocket watch, a fedora. Uh, I wanted a top hat and tails. I taught myself to tap dance by watching old movies on television. A short walk down the road from where I grew up was this little antique store that I would visit every Saturday afternoon without fail. And I would take in the atmosphere for free and count my quarters to see if I could bring home something, some small token or treasure from the past. By the time I was a teenager in the late 80s, I wore vintage suits and blazers with vintage ties to school almost pretty much every day. And every weekend I would drive to the vintage clothing district where I lived and eagerly kind of browse and just, just even just to walk through. And my favorite outfit back then was an, uh, I had an original three-piece brown herringbone wool single-breasted three-button suit dated from 1939, and I paired it with an early 1940s pair of, of brown Florsheim Capto Oxfords. It, it was perfect. Back then, you could actually find a 1940s Palm Beach white double-breasted suit for less than 75 bucks. And of course, it helped to be a size 38 with a 29-inch waist. I was very involved in the drama department through high school and college. It was a place where my interests seemed to make sense to others and to myself, and I felt a little less isolated by doing that. But I secretly yearned for ways to replicate the feeling of what it would be like to really experience the past. Wearing vintage clothing helped, but it was only the first layer, and I wanted to experience all the sights and the sounds and the tactile responses to kind of go along with that. I wanted to touch and feel another era. I wanted to wear the atmosphere of another time. So I began to acquire vintage objects, like old watches, vintage magazines and newspapers, travel books from the 1880s and 1910s. Uh, I bought a floor model 1940s radio, uh, an, an antique Smith Corona typewriter, a portable. 
Um, and I even found a, a pair of vintage mohair covered theater seats and all this stuff I crammed in my bedroom. And with the help from my folks at age 18, I bought my first car. And it was a 1959 Mercedes-Benz 190 four-door sedan. It cost about 475 bucks, and it took about a year for my dad and I to rebuild the engine together. The car was the first time I owned an object large enough that I could get into it and try to feel authentically in the past. It was almost like a mini time capsule, in a sense. And so I sought out places to drive to that looked and felt kind of period authentic to the era of the car. I, I dressed period authentically. I took black and white photographs with my vintage camera of me in the car and where I was. All of this happened well before the internet and long before social media, virtual chat rooms, or, or, or anything like that. I didn't know of anyone else personally who shared this passion that I had. And so even though I loved every minute of it, I kept it very much to myself. And I tended to suppress it in social situations. That often made me feel isolated. Uh, I made myself feel isolated and very detached from my peers. You know, they liked Van Halen and I liked Van Johnson. They listened to David Bowie's Let's Dance and I listened to Benny Goodman's version. You get the idea. I kept up my passion for all things vintage throughout my college years, too. I spent most of my spare time kind of seeking out and exploring used bookstores and thrift shops and acquiring bits and pieces from my growing collection. And, you know, it often felt like I was trying to reconstruct an atmosphere of the past by buying up these artifacts kind of one at a time. When I got my first job and started on my graphic design career, I pretty much compartmentalized my vintage interests and kept them mentally separated and kind of labeled them for myself as socially awkward personal interests. I couldn't see a way to implement them in any you know, practical business fashion or become anything more than, than a hobby to me. And it's not that I really didn't try. I simply just didn't believe. So why? Nobody said I couldn't make my vintage passion a career uh, or a business except myself. And this whole disbelief was entirely of my own making. First, I convinced myself it just wasn't possible, or at least it wasn't very profitable. And then I started to believe the lies that I was telling myself. All of this was out of fear, afraid that I was going to be ridiculed or rejected, afraid that I wouldn't make any money to support myself or my family, afraid that I would end up somehow definitively proving that no one else out there felt like I did, about seeking a real-life vintage experience the way I really wanted to. Instead, I told myself these untruths for years, and because of these fears, I chose to believe them. But the desire to experience an authentic and immersive past wouldn't go away. And so trying to keep my head and heart in two places at once was kind of exhausting and really confusing. And tougher still was flatly denying this core part of me that loved the aesthetics and the style of another age, but kind of refusing to allow myself to live it. So after years of this self-imposed stalemate, I eventually discovered and joined a World War I living history unit, which would travel to a remote location in central Pennsylvania twice a year. And so joined by hundreds of others, we gathered at a specially prepared site with authentically constructed trenches, an entire trench system, in fact, uh, barbed wire, hand-painted signage in French, simulated gas attacks across no man's land. Uh, there were Model T ambulances, there were aircraft, all the way down to Salvation Army donuts. 
For an entire weekend, everything and everyone on that site was expected to be period correct to 1918 or earlier. And so for the entire weekend, absolutely nothing modern was allowed. And in order to maintain that illusion, all of us engaged in this worked very hard to keep period authentic activities and to improve the details of our impressions. And those of you who've already experienced or currently experiencing or are active in living history events will find this pretty familiar. On one cold and foggy November night, we were standing to on the duckboards in our forward trench, and I was fully outfitted in my period-correct U.S. Army wool uniform, 1912, gripping my 1917 Enfield rifle and peering out over the sandbags. I got a taste of something I didn't realize was possible before. We were ordered to go over the top, and accompanied by the muffled crack of gunshots in the distance and the thump of mortar launches and the occasional flash of a signal flare, our entire line of troops clambered out of our forward trench over the sandbags and ventured across no man's land. The moon that night was just bright enough to illuminate the swirling mist left behind as soldier after soldier advanced and vanished into the dense fog patch ahead. It was wonderfully eerie completely unnerving and stunning to watch. It gave me the closest sensation that I will ever know of what it might have been like to experience what those soldiers experienced all those years ago. It was an amazingly immersive experience. It was everything that I would hoped would be able to be possible by being there. And I learned that under the right conditions, this experience was repeatable. Now, while I thoroughly enjoy participating in living history events like these, they're all primarily built around periods of conflict. The Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, now even Korea and the Vietnam War. But what I really want to experience are the years between the wars, the everyday life of the past as it was really lived. I want to walk into a drugstore and make a telephone call from a booth or drop a nickel in a jukebox that plays real records. I want to pick up a couple of magazines at a newsstand before catching the 20th Century Limited to Chicago. I want to step out of a taxi cab and onto the running boards. Wouldn't that be great? And why not? We can recreate any vintage experience we want to. Because after all, history belongs to everyone. We are, all of us, the inheritors of the past, the architects of our future, and the engineers of our present. We can create living history events around just about anything, so why not recreate a place for ourselves that includes all these things that we want to experience the most? Let's have an historically authentic hotel where everything inside is period correct down to the smallest detail. Turn on the radio in your hotel room and listen to an authentic broadcast all day long. Call for room service and talk to the switchboard operator. Hire a vintage car to take you on a picnic. Have your hair done at the salon in the lobby and then shop for a new hat. Dine and dance with the hotel orchestra. Wake up the next morning to find your shoes shined in a period-correct copy of the newspaper outside your hotel room door. Now imagine it as a historically authentic steam train with observation coaches, dining, and sleeping cars. Imagine a bungalow for hire where everything inside is period-correct down to the glass bottles of milk in the icebox and the 78 records in the Victrola in the parlor. There is no limit to the experiences that can be created. This is the vision that I want to share with you. And this is why I started Deja Vu Industries. 
It's a company that creates period-correct, historically authentic, and fully immersive environments for all of us to be able to experience and explore. In order to do that, these immersive environments need to be built right, and that means inclusively. And I strongly believe that diversity and inclusivity must be built in the very core of these environments. It's the only way to create a truly authentic and realistic environment. I'm not looking to build a theme park. This is not intended to be some kind of pseudo-nostalgic, curated and sterilized uh, Main Street USA destination. Those are not immersive or authentic experiences. And they fall well short of the authentic experience and fully immersive experience that I intend to build. We need all perspectives to be included from across the rich tapestry of our shared history to make this work. And that's where you come in. In order to fully put action to the belief that history belongs to everyone, we need a way to bring together all of our combined knowledge and passion of our diverse vintage community in order to share it with each other and with anyone who wants to experience what everyday life was really like in the past. So to that end, I also started a membership organization called the Vintage Life Society. The Vintage Life Society offers shared insights and practical knowledge on how to authentically live in another era. Learning the language, the etiquette, the fashion, the behaviors, the technology, all of it in a practical way for use in creating your own fully immersive living history experience, as well as for use in getting the most out of your fully immersive experience at a Deja Vu Industries historically immersive property. These podcasts are an extension of the concepts and ideas that we discuss and share in the Vintage Life Society, and each weekly podcast will focus on an aspect of historical daily life and discuss how to emulate it or incorporate it into your vintage impression. We'll have guest speakers and specialists talk about everything from social dancing to packing period authentic luggage. They're intended to help give you an idea of what to do. But if you really want to learn how to fully immerse yourself in a period-correct vintage lifestyle, then I encourage you to join the Vintage Life Society. Go to DejaVuIndustries.com to learn more and to subscribe to our email list for details on when membership in the VLS is open. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me again for next week's podcast entitled I'm Gonna Dance with the Guy What Brung Me, and in that episode we'll talk about emulating the speaking styles of the 1920s and 1930s, and explore some of the social shifts of the early 20th century that helped to contribute to them. And until then, thank you for listening to the Vintage Life Society podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hennessy. See you when.
I got that old feeling The moment that you danced by I felt a thrill And then when you caught my eye My heart stood still Once again I that old yearning And I knew the spark of love Was still burning There'll be no new romance 